Um, so this morning's a big Sunday uh, for us as a church. We're kicking off Be the Message. This is our fall growth campaign. We've been talking about it. And of course, the life groups are going to track with the messages that happen on Sundays. And so just wanted to let you know, uh, you still have time to get in a life group. If you've been on the fence, let me push you to the right side, right? I'll push you off the fence onto the right side. So that is to be in a life group. Um, but seriously, I want to encourage you. There's still some openings back there. There's some groups that you could find your way into, and uh, you'll really enjoy it, I think. You'll get the most out of this series um, and uh, just want that for everybody. So check that out if you're not yet in a life group. But the goal of this series, uh, this Be the Message campaign, is really to recognize that when we become followers of Jesus, he calls us to follow him. And he calls us to live a life where we're being transformed by his presence in our lives. So instead of living according to our old nature, we now live according to God's nature, the Holy Spirit's uh, nature, who he uh, is teaching us and convicting us and instructing us. And as we interact with the scriptures, we experience a transformation. Well, part of the reason for that transformation is not just for us. Right? It's not just so that we would enjoy this life better and we would be uh, more connected to God and comfortable in those things, which are all great, but we're really saved for a purpose to be a part of the mission of God so that we can help to reach out to others and connect others to what God's doing. And so um, as we look at this in this series, it's so important that as real, true, authentic followers of Jesus that follow the scriptures that are as true to the original as we can be, when we look at the scriptures and how this worked, that we are people that are living on purpose in the world around us as an example, as, as people that are aware that there's a need. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4 or in your Bible app, if you're there, we're going to look at, uh, at a passage there. Really, we'll focus on one verse. But, um, but this is the way Jesus talked about the world we live in. Um, he mentioned something very powerful about the world that we live in in association to what God is doing. And I want to make sure that we recognize as we live in this world that there are things happening in the spiritual realm that we'll miss if we're not tuned into it, if we're not looking for it. There are things that God's doing in the, in the lives of people around us that if we're tuned into it and see it, we can actually be a part of helping to serve them and love them towards a relationship with Jesus. And so that's really the goal, um, the goal of, this, uh, of this series and this campaign is to get us all connected to the mission of God and to what he's doing. And so um, you've got your spot in John chapter 4. And here's the deal. Jesus lived in an agrarian uh, culture, in a culture where agriculture was one of the dominant um, occupations. And of course, we do as well. And so Jesus used an illustration that would connect with people from that type of culture. In John chapter 4, I really want to focus on verse 35. Jesus says some other things about why he's here. His purpose is to do the will of the Father. And then in verse 35, he says this. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. And he goes on to say that uh, there's been seeds planted. There's been uh, tilling that's been done, watering that's been done. That he's saying to his disciples, you didn't do it, but it's been done. But now there's a harvest to bring in. And I just wonder, as we look around us, we live in a region where the gospel has been planted 
many, many decades, uh, maybe century, now over a century ago, the gospel was planted. It's been watered. It's been cultivated by people as they've worked in this region serving God. And I just believe this at all times when that's the case, there's like this progression of harvest. There always is a harvest ready to, uh, to go out and get. But uh, Jesus obviously said to pray for workers to join the harvest. And what I want to do is make sure that as a church, we're uh, aware of the harvest. We're equipped to go after it, to be a part of what God's doing, to join him in connecting people to God as we go through our daily lives. So with all that in mind, uh, let me say a prayer as we get started. God, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for remaining the head of your church and leading the church forward. And God, thank you for this church, an expression of your body here in uh, this region. And God, I pray that you would continue to mobilize us and, uh, and touch our hearts and move us to see the needs of the world around us and help us to know, Father, where we need to uh, connect, where we need to reach out. God, help us to see that as we go through this series, uh, Be the Message, to recognize that some people need to see the gospel before they're ready to hear the gospel. And so I just pray that you would use us in this way. God, grow us and teach us through this the next seven weeks. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've heard of uh, global warming, right? It used to be global uh, cooling, I think, when I was a kid. But th- I'm not going to get into that this morning. But what I do want to talk is about is raising a spiritual temperature in this region. Elevating the awareness of God's presence. That God exists, that he's active, he's at work, he's alive. He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. And he's in our lives and we're following him actively. We're taking direction from him. We're listening to him and we're learning and we're growing and our lives are being changed. This raises the spiritual temperature in a region. And when that happens, people feel and are affected by that. And so as we go throughout our lives, I know that we're following Jesus. He wants to use us. Our lives are being transformed. And so there's three arenas of our lives that I want us to look at today, specifically. Three arenas where sometimes, you know, as Christians, we're looking for... Um, we're looking for something big, man. We're waiting for the church to do a big initiative uh, that's an outreach so we can be a part of it and feel like we're reaching the community. We're waiting for these things to happen. And, and listen, don't get me wrong, they're great. And we have done them and, and need to continue to do them. They're important. They play an important role. But really, what I want you to see today is that we're already in arenas as we live our lives where we have tremendous opportunity to do the work of God, to reach out to others, to do ministry. And really, if you think about it, the collective effort of a church this size, if we were all to uh, take this message today and implement it into our lives and begin to look for these ways in which we can do uh, and serve God in the arenas that we're already in, then that, uh, that effect, that multiplication effect would have a far greater impact than something we could do together that was a large outreach, even though it might be large and significant because we have the opportunities right now in front of us. And so as we look at this, the first arena of our lives that we all have in some way in our lives is the area in which we work. The area in which we work. No matter who you are, we all have a job to do. I know some folks, uh, are, some are taking care of the home and raising kids and doing that. It's still a job. We all have a job to do. And it, it, that job causes us to interact with other people. Uh, there's really no job you can do where you don't have to talk to anybody ever. Like, your job in some way uh, puts you in the lives of other people. 
And so as we think about work, we think about our jobs. There's a couple things I want us to think about this morning. One is that work is sacred. Work is sacred. It's not just a burden. It's not just something that we have to do. But it really is designed by God. We were designed to work. And work was given to us. And really, when we look at the scriptures and we see that God was, uh, that God, when he created the world, um, he did work. And then when he created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, he gave them work to do. Um, Genesis 2, 3 says, and God blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy because it was the day in which he rested from all of his work of creation. So here we go. Work is holy. It's sacred because God did it and he continues to do it. When God goes to a place, when he's involved in an area, there, is, there are things that are produced. He generates things. He creates and he makes things better. The work of God and the work that God does always builds up. It always makes things better. Sometimes there's some tearing down that needs to be done so that reconstruction can happen, certainly. But the goal, what he's about is always for the good of the people involved. He's always working to make things better, and he does by his very presence. That's his nature. And so when God created the world, he worked. When he got done with it, he had created a man and a woman. He created a garden for them to live in, and he put them to work. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. So Adam had a job to do. Eve had a job to do. They had work to do, to be productive, to contribute and, uh, and so this is a theme. If we look at it, really, that's the design. Uh, when I was in Bible college, we're studying all these things and, you know, looking at the scriptures and coming up with ideas and trying to say this is what the Bible says. And I remember uh, hanging out with a friend one time and we were talking and I said, you know, I think we were created to work. I think that's how it works. And he was like, no, no way, man. You're off on that one. Like work is not something. We were created to do ministry or we created, you know, and all these other things. But, but I said, no, man, I think we were. And the, the more I've lived, the longer I've lived, as I look at the scriptures, I still believe it. I think we were, we were created to work. Work is a calling from God. We were designed to, to be productive and to do good things. And so when we work, we want to glory and uh, we want to honor and glorify God and bring, uh, bring um, direct Uh, and attention to him. But think about this for a minute. Your work is an expression of the image of God in you. It's worth thinking about how your work reflects his character. Work as simple as cleaning out a a closet reflects the God who who makes order out of chaos. I know some of you parents probably want me to read that again. I'm just going to do it once. But here's the deal. I always thought closets were a place to put everything when you had company coming over, right? When mom was going to check your room. No, closets can be organized too. Uh, and, and it should be. Okay, uh, holding, uh, holding a stop sign for children to cross the road creates an environment of safety that reflects the God who protects. The person who flips burgers is providing food, which is something that God does. A father or mother who nurtures a child reflects the love, patience, and perseverance of God. The CEO of a large business holds things together and moves things forward. This, too, is a reflection of God's work. So literally, as we, uh, we could go on this all day, the different kinds of work that we do, they reflect God's character, really, which is an amazing thing. Colossians 3.23 says, Work diligently, at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. 
See, as a follower of Jesus, when we have a job, and we have a boss, we have someone we answer to, and, uh, and that's great. And we always, whether it's a customer, whether it's uh, someone that literally that is over us in a position, <clears throat> but really, we're working uh, for God, for our Savior. We're working for Him. He's the one we answer to. And so really, as we go to work, we go with a good attitude. We go with a good work ethic. It's so important that we recognize that this is a spiritual activity to work. It's not a burden. It's not something, oh, man, I just have to do that to make a living. No, it's really a gift from God. Um, and so we need a good work ethic. So when we work, we're reflecting him and people, uh, we're, we're, um, we're developing and kind of earning uh, the respect of the people we work with. You don't want to be like the two guys that were walking down the street and uh, they saw a sign in, in a, a store window that said, no help needed. And, uh, and one of the guys looked at the other one and said, hey, you should apply. You'd be great at that. <laughs> uh, or we don't want to be like the guy that says, yeah, I never like to drink coffee at work because then I toss and turn at my desk all day and I just like to sleep. Hey, um, having a good work ethic, uh, knowing that God's called us to it is important and we want to reflect that in our lives. Second thing is, God also, when Jesus came to earth, walked the earth, he began to teach the, uh, the disciples and his followers, he began to call them into something new, and he said, listen, there is God's work that you need to be a part of. There's God's work that he wants you to be involved in and to do. And so in Matthew 4.19, Jesus speaking to his disciples, many of whom were fishermen by trade, he said this, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And so Jesus said, listen, you have an occupation where you're making money and you're, you're doing things to provide, but I want you to realize that that occupation, in a sense, I'm going to teach you to do something different. Instead of fishing for fish, I'm going to teach you to fish for souls. I'm going to teach you that you can engage in the work of God in trying to connect people and really reel people in to God's kingdom. And sometimes that's what it looks like. Ephesians 2.10, uh, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Literally, God has created stuff for us to do within his kingdom, in, inside of his church, so that we're reflecting him, we're honoring him, and we're doing the things that he created us to do. Um, combining these two things, the sacred work that we do, we were created to work, God designed us for work, and he has given us responsibilities. We're to be productive and creative and, and contribute to the world we live in. That's part of his nature in us. But also there's God's work that he's called us to. In the New Testament, we see he has a kingdom and a church, and he wants us to be a part of it. So can we bring these two things together? Can we combine the work that we do, which God created us to do, and can we combine that with God's work? And I think we can. Uh, moving here... Uh, really, in large part, happened because of one of my good friends that I uh, went to college with. His name's Byron Holsworth. He's an elder here. You guys probably know of him. And Byron and I went to college together. Our wives were friends before they were our wives, and we were friends. We were in the same friend group. We hung out together, and God was working in our lives. Man, we were young, and we were fired up, and we were growing, and we just saw amazing things happen in our lives together. We had a lot of fun together. It was just a great season of life. And yet, uh, after college, you know, we were involved in each other's weddings, and then God, uh, we sort of moved apart. You know, we went different directions, and we stayed in contact a little bit, uh, you know, occasionally, but, but pretty rarely. And then this happened, and Byron reached out and said, hey, I think God uh, prompted me to reach out to you. I think you should come uh, or consider coming to Mitchell Breen. And I said, really? Okay. And so we started to look at that. Of course, uh, he was right, and uh, God really used him in a powerful way in our lives. But since we moved here, 
we've reconnected, right? We get to spend more time together. He's doing some work on my house and, uh, or our house. And so I've been around him a little bit more. And it's fun to see in the ways that Byron is just the same guy. You know, he stayed the same. He's the same solid Christian man. Uh, of course, he's grown into a man. You know, we were both kids back then. And, uh, and somebody let us get married, you know, it was crazy, but, uh, but he did, but then, but you know, we've grown and developed and here he is, this guy that has his own business and he's so gifted and uh, he works as unto the Lord. Uh, he's a solid example of what a man following Jesus looks like. And so it's just incredible, but I've watched him as he has found a way masterfully and by the help of God to use what God has gifted him to do, the work that he does, he's combined that with the work of God. And uh, I've heard some stories, you know, one of the guys that, uh, that God has used Byron in his life is a guy named Joe Bracken, and Joe Bracken has Lighthouse Electric. And so I've got to know Joe a little bit too, because he's come over and worked on our house as well. And so I've got to talk to him and, uh, and hear what's happened in his life. And so I kind of pieced this story together between talking to both of them, and I want to share it with you because it's a great example of how we can combine these two things and how God can use us in a powerful way in the places we work. And so... One day, uh, Byron was driving around, and he had a job that he uh, needed to get done, and uh, he does a lot of remodeling, and so I don't know what kind of job it was, but I'm uh, believing it was something in that arena. And so he needed an electrician, somebody that he had worked with, whoever it was in the past, he wasn't available and everything, and so he's going, I need an electrician. And so driving around town, he sees this van that says Lighthouse Electric on it. And so he goes, all right, and, and knowing Byron as I do, I believe that really the Holy Spirit prompted him a little bit too, to, to pursue that particular van. And, but he picked up the phone, he calls this number, and he gets Joe on the other end of the phone. He says, Joe, um, I understand or I hear that you're good at what you do, and I need a good electrician. And so Joe, on the other side of the phone, has been going through an interesting season of life. See, Joe had uh, grown up uh, and, you know, um, and as he entered college and went through college, he sort of bought into uh, what the world teaches you you need to do to be happy. You know, he had said, oh, I'd get married, start a family, have some kids, and, uh, and start earning money, and then I can buy stuff, and uh, then I can make more money and buy more stuff, and when you get the right stuff, and you have the right, th- like, then you're happy. And so he believed that, he bought into it, and he was living for it. And uh, as he tells me his story, he goes, the only problem, Pastor John, was that I wasn't happy. I was doing all the right stuff, and, and I was successful at it, but it wasn't providing, it wasn't making me happy. And he goes, I looked at my marriage, and it was starting to fracture and fragment. And he goes, I knew, I could just see as I looked at the future, I thought, man, I'm a, I could lose this. I could lose my wife. I could, you know, the, my relationship with my kids could disintegrate. All this could go away. And he became concerned. And because he had been through, uh, as a child, some rough experiences with religion, and the church, his family got involved in Jehovah's Witness religion, which is a cult, and teaches a false gospel. He had gotten involved with that, and that had caused friction and, and uh, problems in his family and been through a lot of stuff. And so he didn't trust the church. He didn't trust God anymore. He, go, he didn't trust what he knew of religion. He said, I don't know what to do. But he knew somewhere inside of himself that he could talk to God. And so he began to pray. He said, I didn't know what to pray for. He said, God, I don't know who you are exactly. I don't know what I need to pray for, but I just pray you do something because I need some help here. My life is going in the wrong direction. And so this is what's going on in Joe's life as Byron makes a phone call. And so Byron gets a hold of Joe and uh, Joe says, uh, you know, God used Byron in an area, an arena that I wasn't going to say no to, which was work. 
And so he called me and he said, I need an electrician. Well, I wasn't going to say no to work. I was living to make money. And so I went after that job. And then I meet Byron and Byron starts interacting with Joe. And as Byron does, it's a great way of doing it. He just said, Joe, uh, so do you go to church anywhere? And Joe goes, well, yeah, when I go, I go to Mitchell Brian. And Byron said, hmm. Well, I go to Mitchell Brian too. I'm at the door most Sundays. I haven't seen you. <laughs> Which is great, man. Joe needs that. So here's this. I mean, he's just talking real stuff. And, and, and uh, you know, in the course of working, they build a relationship. And, and uh, Joe starts to open up about the things he's looking for. And he begins to trust Byron because he sees integrity. He sees a man living for God. And he, he starts to know that he can trust him. And Byron, of course, will just ask what's going on. And, and a concern comes out. He'll stop right uh, as they're working. He'll pray. So let's pray together. And Byron does that kind of stuff and God uses him. It's amazing to watch. And so Joe, uh, because of meeting Byron, he starts coming to Mitchell Brian for real more often. And then he meets uh, Pastor Giles and he's, he comes to know Jesus. And then his wife starts coming in. She gets to know Jesus. And then pretty soon they're teaching their kids and they, they're lined out with understanding how a Christian family lives. And they understand that instead of chasing a dream and, and promises that can't deliver, they're chasing the God who delivers on all of his promises. And so they experience this transformation. And now Joe is uh, seeing God use him to do the same thing. As he gets around uh, some of his college friends and couples that they hung out with, they go, man, you guys are different. Like, what's going on? And it gives them an opportunity to share. See, this is how God can use us. Now, we can also experience some pushback if we try to honor God in our workplace, if we're trying to live for him. And, and, you know, it's not all like it always works out the way it worked out with Byron and Joe, but that's what can happen. And I know that regardless of what happens, God can use you if you're open to this idea. Some of you are doing it already. Maybe many of you are already doing this and you get it and you're like, no, I'm honoring God and, and I want to see God um, lifted up in my place of work. And uh, um, I was uh, got to... E- have lunch with Brent Holiday this week and he just had, we hadn't met. So he said, contact me, say, hey, let's go out to lunch. And so we did. And then I got to hear a little bit of his story, went over to his place of business and he kind of took me around, gave me the tour. And I mean, he's got verses up on the wall. He said, listen, this business is here to honor God. And, and we're trying to do stuff that would push forward the, the work of God. And he goes, I talk to my employees. I share some things with them. I, I don't push it down their throats, but I, I just try to, you know, gently encourage them and use the opportunity I have as an employer to, uh, to influence the people that work for me. This is the kind of thing that we can do. And like I said, some of you are doing it and you get it, but maybe others of you are going, how would I do that? What would that look like? I'm not going to get in trouble. Listen, I can just tell you, um, you know, I ended up working at Staples in retail for about four years. And I worked in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and Denver, um, Colorado, both of which, um, in the places I work, are pretty pagan, to be honest with you. Not like, hey, we're all Christians here. No. But I was able to go, listen, I'm here, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and I talked about it all the time. And God actually opened up significant opportunities for me to share and talk to people and build relationships. And I never, I got in trouble like one time, and it was for something that I didn't even do. And so I was like, I didn't do, you know. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because it works. And so I really think that um, we can be effective in this arena if we recognize that God's given us opportunities, given us people that we get to work with and build relationships with. Some action steps for you in this if you want to grow in this. Get to know your coworkers. Show an interest in their lives. A lot of times we just go to work, we do the, we do the bare minimum, and we don't really care 
We're not interested in the people that we work with, but they're real people, and God loves them. Maybe he's put you in their life for a reason. Love your coworkers. Serve them. You know, a lot of times we get in work, we want to protect our uh, space. We protect our responsibilities. We don't want anybody to take advantage of, of us. And so if somebody, we're given up, why don't you do that? And we say, that's not my job. That's not my arena. And we get in this, uh, you know, walls up protective mode. Can I just share with you that when Jesus walked the earth and he went to the cross, he was taken advantage of. He was used. Okay, listen, I'm not saying we live a life where we're a doormat. People run over us. But guys, it's okay sometimes to step outside of that arena and allow ourselves to be used a little bit to serve and to do something for the people around us. So maybe we can shift instead of saying, I'm not gonna and don't ask me to do that. We can move to, hey, what can I do to help? How can I help you? When you do that kind of thing, you're so different than anyone else around that you just stand out as a different kind of person. People are shocked and they almost go, what is with you, man? What are you? Who are you? People don't do that. Something to think about. Question for you, are you, work, are you doing your work in such a way as to honor God? Earn the respect of those you work with. Are you looking for ways to do God's work while you do your work for God? The second arena of our lives that we all are engaged in um, and we uh, want to begin to see that we can uh, serve God in these arenas. The second arena that we want to look at is where you live. Where you live. We all have a home, and your home is this place that from ancient times, God has set up to be a sacred place. A place that honors him, a place that reflects him, and a place where others can see God at work in your home. And so it's interesting to look at this. God has given some instructions in Scripture, right, for how families are to function. And it's interesting because we, uh, you know, we still have a lot of families in our culture. Family is, is the, the most uh, dominant way, the most um, common way in which people live. And so they're trying to make it through life. And a lot of people end up getting married and having children because that's kind of what is in us to do, right? We're designed that way. Not everyone, but a lot of people do. And, and so <clears throat> this, this uh, family thing has a lot of ideas about how it should work. There's a lot of instruction. There's a lot of opinions, but what is, what is the God who created the family, what does he have to say about how the family should work? What's his model, his instructions for making this family function correctly, but also be a reflection of him to the world? And so we have some instructions. In Ephesians chapter 5, there are instructions to families. What are some of the things that Paul touches on here? The Apostle Paul who wrote this. First of all, he says to husbands and wives, you get married, you're in a marriage relationship now. He says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. So we come at marriage, not with a, um, I'm going to get my way <laughs> today. That's not how we come at it. We approach it with um, uh, some humility and a, a sense of submitting to each other. So we're there to meet the needs of each other. We're there to serve each other. And then he breaks it down. He says, what does this mean for wives? Well, for wives, in verse 22, he says, this means submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. So here's the model for uh, followers of Jesus, for Christian women. This is what Paul's saying. You, God really is designed in the family for there to be order. He is, uh, he is, intention was that the husband or the man is to lead the house. He's to be in the leadership position. And a wife is to be in a supportive role where she's supporting the leadership. And she's encouraging it. And she's, uh, you know, she's respecting her husband. 
And so this is what the instructions are. Now, I know today this word submission is like a cuss word. And I mean, it can be really hard to take the pastor. Here he goes again, pounding on the women, you know. No, listen, this is God's instructions. I mean, this is what he said to do. And there's a negative side to it, which we hear in our culture. And maybe we've seen where, uh, you know, where there's a misuse of authority. I, I get it. But what about this? What about there's also God's will and his intention? There's a beautiful picture of what this looks like. We know that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father gladly, happily, with all of his heart to pursue and to do what the Father told him to do. So submission is not a bad word. It's a beautiful word. And, and uh, Jesus did a, a, lived out a model for us. So to be a Christian wife and to go, I'm going to support my husband. I'm going to be the best wife I can be according to what God says. And I'm going to try to live this out. Listen, none of us are perfect. And uh, there's only one woman in this church has a perfect husband. And I've told you guys about him already. I mean, he's a pretty good guy. But no, I, in all seriousness, nobody does. Nobody does. It's not perfect. So this is, a, this, is a, this is difficult. There's a wrestling that goes on here. There's some difficulty in doing this and living it out. But if there's a goal to do it, then a wife would say, listen, when I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to support his leadership. I'm going to try to encourage him. I'm going to try to uh, respect him. Uh, when, uh, even when he doesn't deserve it or isn't earning it, I'm still going to live this out because God's telling me to. And when I'm around other women and they start, you know, complaining and talking about oh, what a jerk they got to live with and how he's just lazy and doesn't have, no, I'm going to lift my husband up. I'm going to say, oh no, man, I support my husband's leadership and, I, you know, he's trying and I'm seeing the best in him. When you do that kind of thing, you stand out. This is so different. People don't do that. What do you mean? Okay, come on, now be real. Tell, tell us what's really going on. He, he's doing something wrong. You know, I mean, but you're going, no, this, isn't, this is not how I'm going to live my life. This is where Coach Frost connects, right? So, hey, I'm going to lift up. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to tear down the people around my team. And then uh, husbands, what does this mean for husbands? Well, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul says, listen, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. In verse 25, he says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. So this sacrificial um, example that Jesus lived of loving the church, which is called in the scriptures, his bride, loving us so much that he was willing to sacrifice it all to die on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God and know him. This is the type of love you know, not setting the bar, you know, too high here, but I mean, we're, we're, this is the kind of love. It's not a domineering relationship. It's not an, oh, I got the authority. I need to get my way. No, it's not selfish. It's selfless and it gives and it sacrifices. And this is tough. It's not easy to walk this out. It's no easier to do this than it is to uh, be supportive and submissive. These are both difficult and can only be done really through the power of the Holy Spirit as he works in our lives, as this transformation takes place. We're told to raise up children in the way they should go. We're encouraged to influence our kids as well, to follow Jesus, to know him, to be taught uh, right and wrong, right? To be told, to be punished for things that are wrong and to be uh, praised for things that are good and to be taught to live right. Children are supposed to be uh, um, instructed and given a great deal of uh, leadership is what's required for them. Children need leadership and they need direction. They need to be told, no, that's wrong. Don't do it. You're going to be in trouble if you do. They need that in their life. It provides uh, protection for them and security because they know where the boundaries are. And so uh, Christian parents are supposed to invest and work to raise their children 
Now, um, children, look, you know, children that even love Jesus or raised in a Christian home, you know, they don't lose their sin nature. <laughs> it doesn't go away. So they consider the struggle, right? And it's hard. There's a lot of chemicals going on in little kids and, you know, changes that are happening and it's difficult. And so we're not looking, oh, you have the perfect children and you know, therefore you are following scripture. No, you're working towards teaching, instructing, raising them. This is effort given. It's moving in this direction. And it's important. When we do this, when we do this, we stand out in our neighborhoods. We look different than everyone else. There's a contrast between us and the world that we live in and other marriages and other families. And, and so God wants to use and can use our homes to be this place. It's a sacred place where we're committed to loving God and following him, though we're not perfect and readily admit that but we're working on this. This is our heart's desire. Then we become an example to the world. People look at us and go, what are you guys doing? You're different. What is happening with you? What are you, what's your secret, you know? And this is the nature of this relationship uh, of our homes. Let me talk to you if you're single for a minute. Um, not everybody's married here. Not everybody's married in our church. And some people never get married. And, uh, and Paul actually encourages single folks in the, church, uh, in the church in his time. He said, listen, I wish everybody was single. Like me. He goes, I got complete freedom. I can follow God. I can do whatever uh, he wants me to do. I can do so much more. And I wish everybody lived that way. He goes, once you get married, you have responsibilities and it slows you down. And he had this urgency to, to spread the gospel and to share the gospel. And he goes, listen, man, uh, okay, if you're married, but you know, you should all be like me. And so being single is not a curse. It's not this negative. It's not less than. It's an elevated position in the kingdom of God. And, and God uses us. And if we allow him to use us, um, we can be probably more powerful in a lot of ways. And so uh, let me just challenge you for a minute, though, with your singleness. How do you handle your singleness in such a way that you lift God up and that you're an example to the rest of the world about how God asks us to live? And really what the scriptures teach is that if you're single, live a celibate life. Honor God with your sexuality. Say, listen, I'm going to abstain from that because that belongs inside of marriage. And until I get married, I'm not going to involve myself in that. And when we do that, guys, you look so different than almost 90%, 99% of the rest of the world. Because right now, uh, that is not uh, a practice that, frankly, a lot of Christians even follow. And, uh, and they probably know what the scriptures teach. But it's become a cultural norm. And I want to encourage you, man, be different. Honor God with your singleness. Say, listen, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to live for him. And when you do that, once again, you become such a stark contrast to the rest of the world. You stand out in a good way. Um, our homes are to be a place where God's lifted up, where, uh, where God is seen on display for the rest of the world, and they can be. When we do that, when we honor God in our homes, obviously, as I said, we become an example to the rest of the world. They can see Jesus at work in our families. This is powerful. Um, we all have neighbors. They may live a ways away, but we all have neighbors. And those neighbors, we don't know what they're going through. We don't know how they're struggling or not struggling. We don't know what their life looks like always. You know, we kind of tend to share the surface stuff with each other as neighbors. And then we kind of gossip about it over here and try to figure out what's really going on. You know, all that stuff. But, but the reality is we all have neighbors and they live lives just like we do. And, and there's seasons that are difficult. There's seasons that are great. But God has put us around them, not just to live in proximity, but to invest and to have a relationship. And to try to help and to try to serve and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. 
And our homes can be one of the most powerful places. We uh, moved into a neighborhood in Denver. It was brand new to us because we felt like God was calling us to start a church in this uh, community. And so we moved into a home and God put us around these people that we became, uh, you know, we're neighbors with. And we got to start to get to know them. And one family was about the same age, a little bit younger, but they had one of their girls was the same age as our youngest. Their oldest was the same age as our youngest. So they became friends and you start to interact and told them we were starting a church and they came and attended, visited. And so there was, uh, things were going okay for a while. And then all of a sudden that stopped. There started to become conflict between our two girls, which you know how that goes. And then, uh, and so, oh, things are going the wrong direction. And pretty soon we find out, you know, dad is saying, uh, yeah, I don't believe in this religious stuff. You know, I'm an agnostic and I believe in, you know. So it starts to turn and it got, I'm telling you, it got real awkward. I mean, we're living in, in Highlands Ranch, this community. They built as, they packed as many houses into this area as they could. And so, I mean, our homes are like five feet apart, you know. You can't walk out on my porch without seeing my neighbor. And, and there was some conflict interactions. There was some tension. It wasn't all just, you know, butterflies and, and roses and, hey, how you doing? No, it got tough. But, but I'm telling you, we were there as a representative of Jesus. We tried to live out the gospel in front of them so they could see something different. We didn't see a fruit from that right away. They didn't just, you know, come to Jesus and follow him. When we went to move... They kind of said, well, bye, well, you know, see you later. But there, there was, but this is what I know. I don't know how God is going to use it, but I know he put us in that neighborhood to reflect Jesus to them. Now, across the cul-de-sac, there was an older couple that lived there by themselves, and they had some health issues and everything, and we interacted with them a little bit. And, you know, a couple times Lonnie would come over and say, can you help me put an air conditioner in my window or whatever, just little things. But when we went to go to leave, uh, you know, he and his wife were talking to Mary, my wife, and they said, man, we're going to miss you guys. We've never had uh, as good a neighbors as you. And they just expressed all this uh, appreciation. We had no idea who would have been there. I wouldn't have guessed that. So my point is this, that we have good neighbors. We have rough, tough neighbors to get along with. We all live in the same situations. And yet God has put us in that place to make a difference. Live your life for God and honor him in your neighborhood, and he will use you to reach the people around you, or to make an impact in their lives. Some action steps. Get to know your neighbors. Talk to them. Get to know their names if you don't know. Love your neighbors. Look for opportunities to serve them. I saw uh, my neighbor cutting a tree down his backyard one day, and it's like literally 10 feet away from me. I'm like, hey, do you need some help? You know, um, there's just little things like that we can do that, that speak volumes to the people that we live around. Let your speak, speech be sprinkled with the goodness of God. Uh, your church, you know, I used to go uh, to work and of course learning to talk about the sermon on Sunday. Talk about things God was doing in my life. Don't have to be scared of that. It's who we are. And uh, if it's real and what, what's happening, people are looking for that. Question for you. Is your home a place where God is on display for the world to see? Well, the last arena we want to look at is the area, areas in which we play. And we have recreation. Recreation is good for us. It's an awesome thing that we get to do, pursue interests in this world. We live in a great country. We live in a great time. There's, there's a lot available. There's a lot of things that you can get into. And so we can really explore that arena, find interests, and have hobbies and things that we enjoy to do outside of work. It's important. It's good for us mentally, physically, spiritually. I think there's a lot of benefits to it. But really, God wants us to do everything that we do as a representative of his. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 
There's a family that goes to church here that um, did something very generous uh, before they even knew us. Uh, see, they have a trucking business. They haul liquid uh, feed around. Uh, they're they're um, Rick and Lynn Harriman, and then they have a son, Chase, that's involved in the business. And so they had this box trailer that um, was really a moving trailer at one point. And so Pastor Giles got them connected to us, twisted their arms somehow, and said, hey, would you go down and help the Simpsons move uh, to Scott's Bluff? And so he drives his truck down, backs the trailer into our little uh, tight, uh, you know, cul-de-sac, <clears throat> gets it in there. We load our stuff up. He even helped us load some of the stuff up, and then he drove it back up here and parked it in his steel building. And so we come up. And, of course, we're very appreciative and getting to know them. And, man, they're just sweet people, very uh, just awesome. Love Jesus and, and are great people. And so we're getting to know them, enjoying it. And uh, we're in the steel building one day getting some stuff out of the trailer. And I see parked, uh, you know, off to the side, this beautiful orange Dodge pickup. I mean, it's beautiful. And I was like, wow, uh, Rick. You know, I could tell that it was tricked out a little bit. It wasn't just a stock pickup. You know, I'm like, Rick, so what do you do with that thing? And he goes, well, really the reason we have this trailer is because we load that thing up and we go around to the fairs in the summer and we do this tractor pulling. And I was like, wow, really? And he's like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. And, and so I knew right away because he was competing with it. Well, I go, well, of course you bought a Dodge because you wanted to win, you know, <laughs> right? And so, um, and so I was like, yeah, right on line. This guy's smart. And, uh, you know, he's into a fun uh, enterprise. And so, <laughs> John Trubel, yes. And so... Um, and so he goes, uh, so we got to go to the fair, Scottsville Fair, watch him do this. And I mean, it was fascinating. It's exciting. And he was like, man, there's just a rush doing this. And he and his son do it together and lots of fun. Well, he's told me about the experience of doing this. And he's like, yeah, you know, we get to know a lot of people. As we travel around and go to these fairs, we see some of the same people. And we start to build relationships and get in their lives. And we're able to talk and find out, you know, things come up. Because they love Jesus and they're following him. And so, you know, stuff comes up about what's going in their lives, uh, going on in their lives and where they stand with God. And he's like, even some of uh, Chase's friends, you know, kind of get pulled into this because it's cool to watch it. Guys love it. And some women love it too. You know, it's like, this is exciting. And so, um, and so they want to be a part of it. And so he's like, man, it's amazing. Sometimes we have people crowded around our trailer and our truck. You just blow your mind about the people we get to interact with. And I know right now, you know, uh, Chase has a young man in his life who's going through some struggles. You know, he lost uh, his dad. His mom has cancer. And they're able to just pull him in and say, hey, you know, we'll be part of your family. We're going to help you. And they're just reaching out and they're allowing this recreation thing they do, an interest to be used by God. God wants to do the same thing in your life. And he can. I don't care if you're into photography, playing board games. You know, I don't know what it is. But God can use that. If you're interacting with people, as you spend time with people, he will use you to impact their lives. Listen, uh, our work life, our home life, our play life, these are arenas that we live in. We have influence. We have opportunity to be there, and we're around people. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 really talks to us about how we need to live our lives, and it kind of sums all this up. This is what it says from the message version. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God do, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognizing what he wants from you 
and quickly responding to it, unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. God wants to use us. Um, we're all familiar with gloves. You know, I have some gloves out um, in my shop and there's work that needs to be done. And I leave at night and I leave the gloves there. And I'm always hoping that the gloves would just go ahead and get the work done. You know? I mean, they work okay when, I'm, when I have them on. And so I think, why don't they get stuff done when I'm not there? But somehow they don't. Because if I tell a glove, hey, uh, go ahead and you know, grab that card for me. And I send it off to do the job. It doesn't do it. Frustrating, I know. But listen, if we are like gloves, and I think what's supposed to happen with our lives is that we need to invite God in. And he wants to fill us and consume us. And when a glove is filled with a hand, it can do all kinds of things. It's not the glove doing it. It's the hand doing it, but the glove gets to be a part of it. And I think what God wants to do and what he's really asking us to do is to allow him to come in and consume every finger, fill up every piece so that our, our lives are able to be used by him to make a difference in the world. God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for calling us to be a part of your family, to be in your church, and to be a part of your work. And God, I pray for each one of us as we look at our lives, as we go through our daily lives, we're at work, we're at home, uh, we're playing, that you would help us to see the people you've placed around us, those, those um, places where we live, the job that we have, the things we like to do are really gifts from you. And that you've called us into this life to make a difference for you and to do your work. So God, help us to connect to your spirit. Help us to hear your voice as we go throughout our days. Help us to be tuned in to the things that you're doing in the lives of the people around us so that we can make a difference for you in this region. God, help us to raise the spiritual temperature so that your name can be lifted up and people can find hope and life in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.